You're listening to Home and Garden Radio Podcast number 19. Home and Garden Radio Podcast is the recorded version of our live show that's heard every Saturday morning on radio stations all across America on the BizTalk Radio Network. Do not turn that radio dial. Stop it. Stop it. It's time for the Home and Garden Show. Your host, Michael Kroos. There's guaranteed laughs. Zaniness. Is that even a word? Who cares? Anyway, fun in the sun. And of course, discussions and vital information on all things botanical. That means plants. And if you have insects getting into your things and on your nerves, they're toast. Yeah! Michael will get your heads, your flowers, your grass in tip-top shape. You're all worthless and weak. Now drop and give me 20. You listen for your pleasure, no? So, got Got your your swim swim trunks trunks on? on? Good. Let's jump right in. The call-in number from coast to coast across the nation. Um, I could tell you, but Michael Kroos will tell you it's part of his job. Now, without further ado, that smooth, suave, debonair, home and garden kind of guy, Michael Kroos. Do you have German cockroaches in your house? Hey, this week's edition of Home and Garden Radio is brought to you by the good people at HelpIHaveBugs.com. That's HelpIHaveBugs.com. HelpIHaveBugs.com. And welcome to this edition of Home and Garden Radio. I am so happy that you are here. Uh, As a matter of fact, I am thrilled that you're here. I'm just so happy, happy, happy. Uh, What can I say? I have to adjust my sound here just a tad bit. There we go. You know, I, why don't I have somebody on the other side of the double bulletproof glass to do this? You know, Zach is usually doing it. Zach is sunburned. I have to tell you, Zach has been getting very athletic lately. And he went out on a 22-mile bike ride the other day with his turtle dove and came back beat red, and I'm not letting him out of the house. And, uh, I mean, he's got blisters. I wanted to take him to the doctor. He said no. He just, you know, wants to get through it. You've got to be very, very careful out in the sun. Very, very, very careful out in the sun, especially when you're young. Because when you're young and you go out in the sun and you get super, super bad sunburn, it sticks with you. Trust me. I know this. I've got a, a dear friend. Uh, one of my best buddies' wives, who used to be what you would call a sun bunny. She was always out in the backyard or at the beach or wherever getting as much sun as she could get. And she used to get terrible sunburns as a, as a young person. Terrible sun, but she didn't care. She said, oh, you know, it, it gets the skin ready and then it turns brown. Well, trust me, now... At her age, well, she stopped all of this at age, I think, 50. It all of a sudden went bad on her, and just really, really bad on her. And she now wishes, you know, she now wishes, wishes, wishes she had never become a sun worshiper. And I've never quite figured that out. I, You know, and I know a lot of people like that. I absolutely know a lot of people like that. And, uh, well, one of my past clients, and I think I've mentioned this before, is a clothing optional resort and um, under the, the previous owners. And I went out there, they had a really nice restaurant that I used to enjoy eating in, and um, 
I met a, a bunch of, of people who were like really into that. And, and by the way, it's not what you think. You know, you go there expecting to see beautiful naked people. You don't, trust me. But I got to meet a lot of very nice people. As a matter of fact, a couple of them are still <clears throat> clients of mine. But I saw people, but I just, I've never got it. I have never, ever, ever got it. Maybe you can enlighten me. I don't know, but I, I've just never gotten it. Uh, and I met one woman, delightful lady, really good gardener, who had skin cancers like all over her back. And, you know, her husband told me, she, he says, she thinks that going in the sun is actually going to help that. Yeah, that's crazy. Absolutely crazy just bizarrely crazy. I don't get it. But Zach is now, I think Zach has definitely learned his lesson about overexposure to the sun. And he only got his arms and his face, you know, sunburned. And boy, God love him. I, I feel so bad for him. Anyhow, got a bunch of stuff to talk to you about this week. Um, I got several emails after last week's show <clears throat> with people wanting to know what to plant in the fall for gardening, you know, to set up fall vegetable gardens. And, you know, the answer is, it depends on where you live. And I mean, that's a very specific, you know, thing. In Florida, there's, believe it or not, in Florida, there's, in my mind, three different regions. California has at least three different regions. Uh, Arizona has at least two different regions. So what I found, and it's on my website right now, it's a link to a really nifty website that takes you state by state. There's a, on that, it takes you to every state. If you live in Michigan, if you live in Illinois, if you live in North Dakota, wherever you live, you can click on the link there and it will tell you what you should be planting in August uh, and, you know, early September and uh, everything, you know. So, by the way, in Florida, we don't really start, excuse me, start our fall gardening for about another week or two. We start planting in about another week or two. I was talking to the people over at Oasis Farms, and they're just now gearing up to plant all of their fall plants. So it's it's an exciting time of year. I, you know, people love fall gardening. So depending upon where you live, so look on homeandgardenradio.com for that because the information is there. The other thing I wanted to talk about is on homeandgardenradio.com, I have this nifty little page called Ask Michael. And you can go on Ask Michael and you can push a little button. Just about everybody has microphones on their computers now because everybody Skypes on their laptops or, you know, on their mobile devices. They can go on and they, they can push this little button and they can ask me a question. Well, every week I get several people who... Obviously, and I guess I'm not a great communicator when it comes to the interweb, who will send me emails thinking that that's what I meant. Well, I love your emails and I answer all of your emails. But no, I want people to send, ask me voice questions. And then I take those and I add them into the show. And we've, we've done one or two of those so far and they've been really good. I want more. Well, I had an internet. I was at a meeting. I was at a meeting of the Florida Podcasters Association the other night. And I uh, was talking to this guy who is really smart about this sort of thing. I mean, just really, really, really smart. And he took his tablet and he went on my website because I said, I'm just not getting a lot of people doing this. And he said, well, you've got it 
on, uh, he says, your website is a little bit confusing. You know, it, it's at, you've got an Ask Michael section on the website. And he said, you need, and let me, let me find it. Um, he says, you've got an Ask Michael section on the website. But then there's another section on my that says contact Michael, and people are getting confused. And he suggested that I take the information that's on Ask Michael, and I should put that as a slider on my front page. So it's right there. You can just go right there on the front page or at the top of my front page, and you can send a voice message to Ask Michael, and you push this little orange button, and it starts recording. So... I'm going to do that. I, you know, I got to figure out how to do that. Uh, I feel blessed that I was able to do what I did. You know, I used to be so good at this, you know, but now it's just, I don't know. I'm concentrating on getting better at it. So uh, I will do that. But in the meantime, before I get that done, just go to the section on the website that says, ask Michael, and you can then go there and ask me a question. See how easy this is? You can go there and ask me a question, and I shall answer it. Now, I did get, this week, two people who actually did this. I, had, I got two people who asked me a question, and I thought that was very nice, except the questions could not be aired on the radio. And by the way, they were two, from two different people, because I can tell, and um, you know they were not related, because that's what my first thought was, and I said, oh. Well, you know, if you want to send me those, it's okay. They're never going to get used on the radio, but I find them amusing. Um, But, uh, you know, send me questions that I can use on the radio, and I'll be happy to. The other fun thing about it is if you leave your email, I send you a voice message back thanking you. So isn't that nice? So, and, And I answer the question on the voicemail. So you get like immediate, well, pretty close to immediate gratification because I'm telling you, the answer, and you're getting a voiced answer in your email that you can just click and listen to. How cool is that? Plus, it also goes on the radio show. And I know some of you are busy and can't listen to the radio show to hear the thing. Well, know that I'm going to give you a very personal answer back right there in your email. Plus, I'm going to use your question on the air and give everybody a answer or, you know, a a guide and they can listen to it and it'll all be very very cool so isn't that cool i think that's excellent so feel free to go to the ask michael section and i will get it moved to the front page which by the way is going to mean totally redesigning the website so now we'll take a break and we'll be back in a few minutes and we'll talk about other stuff so stick with us have German cockroaches in your house? Hey, this week's edition of Home and Garden Radio is brought to you by the good people at HelpIHaveBugs.com. That's HelpIHaveBugs.com. HelpIHaveBugs.com. 
Continuing here on Home and Garden Radio, hope you're having a marvelous day. I'm having a marvelous day. It is a beautiful weekend in Florida, 70% chance of rain where I am this weekend. Isn't that nice? Uh, A nice time to stay at home and get things done, like working on the website and all of that good type of stuff. I got to tell you, I was out and looked at a yard in Florida, a St. Augustine yard in Florida, that is all but destroyed by white grubs. I, you know, I went and I looked at it, and it is all but destroyed by white grubs. And they had a company coming out to, you know, I guess this company came out eight times a year. So what is that? Like every six weeks or something? They were they were coming out and fertilizing and putting down insecticide and weed control and and all that. And in no time at all, the yard was just totally destroyed by white grubs. And, you know, people were in, the woman did not understand the whole concept of white grubs. White grubs start off as, well, who knows where they start off. Well, let's start them off at beetles. And the beetles uh, fly in. Actually, they go through a mating phase. The male, you know, beetle goes chasing after the women beetle. And uh, then the women beetles fly into your lawn and dig down into the ground. And by the way, the males die a rather horrible death right after mating. And uh, the females dig down into your ground and they lay their eggs and then they pass away. And then they're gone. And then what happens next is what we call a complete metamorphosis. These pests have what is called a complete metamorphosis. They uh, start off as an, well, we started them off as the adult beetles who laid eggs, and those eggs hatch out into little worms, little grubs. And what do the grubs do? The grubs eat the roots of your grass. Depending upon what type of grub they are can also depend upon how ferocious they are. But for the most part, they're all pretty ferocious when it comes to eating vegetation. Now, we think of white grubs as being a problem in lawns. White grubs are also an incredible problem in shrubbery, and especially potted shrubbery and raised bed gardens. They get into vegetable gardens, or they get into flower gardens, and just wreak havoc on the roots. They just go in it because they just love the roots, and they just tear up the roots and destroy the plants. There are natural ways to get rid of certain ones of these. If they come from Japanese beetles, there are Bacillus thuringiensis products that actually do a pretty good job, or I think they're actually called milky spore products, I'm sorry, uh, that do a pretty good job. But most of the beetles or most of the white grubs are not, depending upon where you live, are not from the Japanese beetles. Now, in some areas of the country, they are, but in other areas, such as Florida, they are not. They would be another one. They could be a rhinoceros beetle. They, you know, several different types of, of beetles they could be. And again, ferocious on there. And the when you, you know, the, the solution to this is paying very close attention to your lawn. Because I'm not a big advocate of putting down preventive insecticides. Some people are. I'm not. Uh, of putting down preventive insecticides on the lawn and into the soil 
to prevent for these grubs to happen. And now there are a lot of people who do that, a lot of companies who do that. And I'm not going to tell you that that's wrong. I'm just telling you that it's not my choice. It's nothing that I would do. I tend to just go out and pay attention. And if I see that I'm having a problem, and the way you notice is that you start seeing a decline in certain areas of the grass. And by the way, they kind of like work in a line. You'll start seeing the grass, you know, starting to die here, die there. And then the, the quickest thing that you can do is get down on your hands and knees and look at the grass very carefully and grab onto it and see how the roots are holding up. Uh, what I did in this particular lawn that I went to, I just went down and I grabbed the grass and pulled it up and there were no roots. And that's why the grass was dead. Well, as soon as you see that, as absolute soon as you see that, it is the time then to put down a really good insecticide application uh, to take care of it. Now, I have been asked for the natural solution to get rid of the grubs uh, that are actually crawling around in the ground. I don't have one. I wish that I did. There are people who say that a BT uh, solution injected into the ground works. I've never seen it work. As a matter of fact, I don't know anybody who has been successful with it. If you have been successful with it, please go to the website and go to the Ask Michael section and tell me of your success with that. The only success I have had getting rid of an existing, an existing population of white grubs in a yard has definitely been to use an insecticide. Now, my insecticide of choice right now is a granule product or granule version of a the active ingredient bifenthalin. And it uh, just seems to do a good job if, and there's a lot of ifs with that. Uh, the, the granule version that I like is a sand mixture. In other words, the bifenthalin is impregnated into sand and it's very fine. And you put that on the ground and it goes right to the base of the soil very, very quickly. And that is the one that I like. Uh, one of the brand names that I like is a product called Telstar. But there are other versions and make sure that you get the sand mixture. The granule mixtures will also work. You know, the larger granules, it's just harder to get them to work. So I really like the sand mixture. It does a good job. The other important thing that you have to do once you put this down and you cannot dilly-dally, you cannot wait, is you immediately must water it in. So I like to put it down towards the end of the day before, you know, before sundown, just before sundown, if I can. And I like to, you know, put it down. And then you the ultraviolet light at that stage of the game doesn't have a chance to deteriorate the insecticide. And that's one of the things that deteriorates, especially granular insecticides or any type of insecticide, is ultraviolet light from the sun. It just breaks it down, makes it very not effective. It, it just does. So I like to put it down just before dark. And then if you've got the sprinkler system set up to go off at six o'clock in the morning, then it goes off at six o'clock in the morning and you water it in real good. So you're pushing that active ingredient down beneath the soil where the sun isn't going to bother it. And that's a good thing. And I would water it well. Now, you know, I would probably water the lawn before I put the product down to get the soil nice and moist and ready. And then I would water it again after it is down. So I hope that helps you out. We will continue right here on Home and Garden Radio with more of your email questions. And I'll tell you more of my adventures of the week when we continue right here on the BizTalk Radio Network. 
You can contact Michael at homeandgardenradio.com. That's homeandgardenradio.com. to the Home and Garden Show with Michael Gross. Once again, here's Michael. And once again, here I am, talking to you today about all kinds of things having to do with homes and gardens and, and, and just whatever else you want to talk about. Hope you're having a good day. Uh, in the email this week, more stuff having to do with termites. I got two emails, one from Southern California, which I, I found to be quite interesting, wanting to know what I thought about using the orange oil stuff on termites, on dry wood termites. Well, well, I guess I need to educate the rest of the country about dry wood termites because dry wood termites only live for the most, well, they only live in the South, Southern California. Arizona, Hawaii, big time Hawaii. Man, big, big, big time out in Hawaii. Um, Southern California, Arizona, Texas, you know, Southern Texas. Um, Louisiana, to a certain extent. And South Florida, well, Florida from mid-Florida on south, where I live, there's dry wood termites. For years, well, you know, I've seen... It evolved on how they got rid of drywood termites. In the old days, and I'm talking about way, way, way in the old days, they applied products to the wood where the drywood termites were. And back in the 1940s, a very popular product that they would apply with a paintbrush if they could, or they would inject if they could, was a product called creosote. And some of you will remember creosote is the stuff that they used to soak telephone poles or electrical poles in to make sure that they wouldn't rot and, and get all kinds of, and get termites and everything else. Well, they used to use that. And then they also applied DDT to the wood that had dry wood termites in it. But they would have to drill holes into the galleys. Now, understand the difference between the termites. Dry wood termites live in the wood only. They fly through the air in the summertime to establish new colonies, but they the colonies are all in the wood. And uh, that is not a phenomenon that happens all across the country, like I said, only in the deep south. And, and I'm talking deep, deep south and in Hawaii and Puerto Rico and the Bahamas and, you know, all, all across the south. And it is quite a quite a problem. But these termites only live in the wood. Subterranean termites, which most of the country is very familiar with, live actually in the soil. And they come up through the soil and they get into the house through cracks in the foundation and plumbing and all kinds of things like that. And they, you know, get in and eat the cellulose, eat the wood as it will. And subterranean termites work very fast. If you get a subterranean termite problem in your house, you know about it in a reasonable amount of time. Not always, but you know because they are silent workers. But you have a better chance of knowing about it because you find things like mud tunnels and you find wood that has just been chewed up. Well, dry wood termites, on the other hand, that only live in the wood, 
work slowly. They're not fast actors. They uh, dry wood termites can live in a house for years before they're uh, absolutely detect, you know, detected. And most dry wood termites, for the most part, in newer construction, are isolated to one area. In older construction, you know, and I'm talking about houses that were built in the 1920s and the 1930s, they've had a chance to move around and have established new colonies in different parts of the houses, especially if the houses were not maintained. And um, one of the popular treatments for dry wood termites now is a product that is basically orange oil. There's one particular company that puts this product out and sells it to pest control operators. And what they're doing is essentially the same thing that the old-time pest control operators were doing with creosalt and DDT and chlordane. Uh, and uh, that is, they're finding where the galleys are in the wood, where the termites are, drilling little holes and injecting the orange oil in. And then the orange oil wicks out and it kills off the colonies where the termites are. Now, besides the orange oil, if you wanted to go to a more natural approach, uh, there is a product called, the active ingredient is called disodium octaborate tetrahydrate. Fancy word for liquid boric acid. A brand name is called Tembor. And what it is, it's a soluble version of boric acid. It, uh, it dissolves in water. And uh, I find that it dissolves a little better in warmer water than cold water. Just my experience, but what do I know? Uh, but it still dissolves in water. And that can be injected the same way. And it also wicks its way slowly through the woods. There's also variations of the disodium octaborate tetrahydrate where it is actually mis mixed with glycol. Am I pronouncing that right? Glycol is the active ingredient in antifreeze. And there are companies that have a product where they mix the disodium octaborate tetrahydrate with the gly glyconol and uh, it comes in a liquid form, and that is also injected into the wood. Now, that kind of takes away the natural part of things, doesn't it? Because, you know, you're mixing it with a pretty deadly poisonous chemical to get it in, into the wood. But the orange oil is becoming very popular among environmentalists because of the fact that it's totally natural. What the orange oil is, is it is the orange peels. They, they make it right down the street practically from where I live. Well, it's like a couple of miles. As a matter of fact, I worked there when I was in high school. Back then it was called the Hood Plant. Now it's owned by Coca-Cola. And it's a citrus processing plant. And, you know, they make orange juice there. They make frozen orange juice there. But one of the things they do is they peel the oranges and then they squeeze those peels. And the oil that comes out of those peels is orange oil. It is also called delimaline. That is what the technical name of it is. And it has many, many uses. And, you know, wicking into wood for termites is just one of them. And this one company has an EPA registration on the product and they sell it. And they say, you know, you have this nice citrusy product that goes in to the wood. Does it work is the question that I am often asked. And the answer to that is absolutely yes, it works. It's expensive. 
the, there's only one company that is making the product available. Although I guess I could go up to the Coca-Cola plant. And as a matter of fact, I know a young man that used to do this. He used to go up there when it was the hood plant and he would buy five gallon pails of it. Or I take that back, 55-gallon drums of it for very little money because they just didn't know what to do with it. And he brought it home, and him and his mother actually bottled it up and sold it as a liniment that you would put on sore muscles. And I will tell you, they gave me some and I, this years ago, and I put some on my shoulder. And I got to tell you, it's very warm, and, and and but it was very popular. They used to advertise in the newspaper Grit. Remember the newspaper Grit? They always had an ad in Grit, and they sold this stuff all over the country. And they made a bunch of money. I don't know if they made a bunch of money, but they made good money doing it. And, and they were in Grit for years and years. And I remember some 10 years after I knew them, I ran into a copy of Grit magazine or a Grit newspaper. I don't even know if it's still published. And sure enough, there was the orange oil ad from these people. They had moved away from Florida, but they were still selling the orange oil. But uh, so, it, and it's the same, the same exact product. And if you go on the internet and you look up delimaline, you can buy delimaline, relatively inexpensive, but it doesn't have an EPA registration for termite control. And this one company has the EPA, and they spend a lot of money to get it, you know, bless their hearts, and they also include a lot of training. You know, a regular pest control company cannot just go buy this stuff. You have to uh, make a commitment to buy a lot of it and go through a lot of training in order to use it. And I know a gentleman in Tampa, his name is Chet, of Chet's Pest Control. You can look up his website, Chet chetspest.com, and he has several videos. And Chet, I got to tell you, is a stickler. I, I know, I've known him for for years. We've never met in person. We spoke on the phone many times, many, many, many times. And I have recommended his company to many people. And if this didn't work, I can absolutely guarantee you that Chet would not use it. And he has videos that he has actually made of dry wood termites and wood where he has injected it and then come back later and sawed it in half. And you can see how the stuff wicks out. So it's very, very effective and it is very good. And, um, I, I guess I can recommend it, but be prepared to spend a lot of money if you're going to, you know, have that. Just be prepared. That is just one. You know, I'm going to see if I can get Chet on the phone real quick during this break. And we'll see if, if I can find him. I'll see if I can get him on the phone. And maybe I'll have him on and we'll talk about that. We will continue. garden guru michael cross could not get chet on the phone to talk to him about the orange oil stuff phone number i had i had his home phone number he must have changed it i haven't called him in years uh and it's too late you know to call it this is not the appropriate time to call him at the office but i will stick a link on the website to one of his orange oil videos and i hope that is helpful for you the other thing I wanted to just mention about dry wood termites is that the other method of controlling dry wood termites, and the only one that truly works 100% of the time, is tent fumigation. This is where 
a pest control company comes out and they put a tent over the whole house. They encapsulate the house in this plastic or canvas tent and inject a gas into it, which goes through all of the wood and kills every dry wood termite in the house. And that works rather well. As a matter of fact, it's 100% effective. It's very expensive. It's using a lot of toxic gas, which by the way, dissipates and goes away Within an hour after the tent being removed from the house, the pest control company can clear the house and it's totally safe. But there are questions about that gas going up into the atmosphere. Nothing proven to be bad, but there was another gas that they used to use called methyl bromide that did have some very adverse effects on the greenhouse situation and on greenhouse gases. And they took that one off the market. But the one that remains on the market now, the only one that is legal to use, there has been no studies stating that it's bad for the environment, but some people, you know, get shook up about it. But that is the one way to truly get rid of all of the dry wood termites. And if you have an older house that has dry wood termites in a lot of areas in the house, that is what I would suggest to you. Some people still go with the orange oil, but I mean, even Chet will have houses where he will say, you know, we really need to have a tent put over this house. So, you know, sometimes that's the only option. The other question that came in was about termite baiting. Now, termite baiting is done for those other termites that we talked about in the last segment, the subterranean termites. There's a couple of ways to get rid of subterranean termites. In the old days, we used to drill holes and inject something called chloridane, or, you know, one of the chlorinated hydrocarbon, DDT, before that, and killed off all of the termites in the soil. Because remember that the subterranean termites actually live in the soil and come up every 24 hours, they have to go back to the soil, usually less than that, usually it's about 12 hours, they've got to go back to the soil. So uh, an insecticide was put down. All of those products were taken off the market. And something called termite baiting came into play. And that was the question that I had was about termite baiting. Uh, before I get into that, which I will do here in just a second, uh, the uh, method that is used a lot now is a non-repellent termiticide, the most popular being a product called Termidor, which has the active ingredient of fipronil. People trench around the house, drill a couple holes if they need to, but essentially trench around the house and inject Termidor into the soil. And it has, I have to say, a 100% record of effectiveness. It kills the termites right here, right now. And a lot of people opt to use that. People who are more, you know, geared to go towards an environmentally friendly way of doing it, and there's a lot of people who do, like to use termite baiting. Now, what termite baiting is, is where they go around the property and they put these bait stations. They drill little holes in the soil and they put these plastic bait stations into the soil. The way they used to do it is they would put wood in this bait station and the subterranean termites would crawl around and they would find the wood and they would start eating it. And the pest control companies would come back every month and they would monitor the wood. And when they found subterranean termites eating that wood, they would replace that uh, wood with a bait that contained an insect growth regulator. The very first one out, I think, was called Diflubabenzeron. But there are now 
all kinds of new ones that are, you know, work equally, some work better than that. And the newer tactics in baiting now is instead of putting the wood in all of the bait stations, they're just putting the bait stations all the way around the house and putting the active ingredient into it. So when the termites find it, they are now eating it. And it, what that what this does, these insect growth regulators do, is they don't kill the termites right away. They alter the termites. And as the termites take this stuff back to the colony and feed it to the other termites, the whole colony crashes, is the theory. And by the way, it works very, very well. So I was asked, and there are several termite baiting systems out there. I have been asked, in my opinion, which is the best one. And like I say, they are all very well and all very good, or most of them are very, very good if they are monitored and handled correctly. I'm going to tell you that the one that I would recommend to you as a consumer is a little bit expensive, but I think it's the best. And it's going to guarantee you that you're going to get rid of your termites. And this is made by a company called Dow. And it is called um, uh, the Dow. What is it? Oh my gosh, the name has just escaped me. There, now it's back. It's called Centricom, Dow Centricom system. And they are now doing something called always active. In other words, all of their bait stations have the active ingredient. I believe that their bait is called Shatter. Uh, and it's very, it's an excellent, it's called a, it's a chitin synthesis inhibitor. And uh, again, very slowly killing the termites and then crashing the colony over a period of time. There are several ones, other ones out there. Another one that I like, it's kind of hard to find, is called the Home Guard system. It's, it's good. They use cardboard uh, as their monitoring device and they've got a, a bait station that actually has a patent on it which actually attracts bait you know termites locally i've played with it and uh, made some videos about it and it's very very effective again nationwide very hard to find somebody that does it i'm going to have to go ahead and recommend the centricom system there are a lot of of uh, companies that use it and dow is very picky about the companies that use it and they keep track of it and you can be assured that if a company puts the centricon system in it's going to be monitored properly because dow does a wonderful job of keeping up with that and it will get rid of your termites hey that will wrap things up for this edition of home and garden radio i want to thank you so much for joining us go to the website homeandgardenradio.com Look for the Ask Michael. Leave me a voice message. I will put your voice message on the air and answer your question on the air. We'll see you next week, everybody. Bye-bye.